every day It's getting closer, going faster than a roller coaster Love like yours will surely come my way Welcome to episode 478 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. On this episode, what I wanted to do is I wanted to deconstruct the Deep Root interview we did with Robert Mueller and just talk a little bit about what Robert said and how I think Deep Root should sort of behave as they go towards the launch of Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland. Yes, I'm going to give you what my advice would be to Robert Mueller on the how to best launch Raza. Now, I've offered my marketing advice to every single pinball company out there. I think my going rate on the market in its prime, a lot of money. I'm not going to tell you exactly a lot, how much money, but almost enough an hour to buy a topper. So you can figure that out. And even though Canada has offered his marketing advice to every single pinball company out there, guess how many have actually taken me up on my offers, zero. Now, I know that Stern listens to some of my marketing advice because I see some of my ideas implemented by Stern to the T, which is great. I'm glad they listen because it is just, it makes sense. Like marketing is not this higher science. It's not this high, it, it's just, a lot of it's just do what makes sense. Commonsensical stuff is, is the best marketing out there. You know, the most genius ideas and the most clever ideas are also the easiest to understand and also make the most sense. So we'll talk about how I think Deep Root Pinball needs to launch Raza uh, to make it successful and then to get on to their other titles, all right? We'll talk a little bit about pinball news, which there isn't a lot of, and there's a reason for that, and you know what that reason is. But before I jumpstart things, I, I want to just sort of go a little bit off the cuff. I want to go a little bit off the beaten path of Canada's Pinball Podcast and explain to you something that's been on my mind lately. And and I talked a little bit about this in other podcasts and I've heard other pinball podcasts sort of try to process this new world we're in. And for the first time in a long time, even Canada, myself, who stirs the pot, who says things that are controversial and I'm provocative and I, I, I don't shy away from a dialogue with many people, but lately I've found myself completely disgusted by some of the mindset of people within the pinball community. And it actually has me blocking certain people on Facebook. It actually has me jumping in to Facebook conversations, which I normally don't do because I, I think it's just a, a cesspool of ignorance on Facebook. And I don't understand why people all pretend to be experts on things they know nothing about. And this whole pandemic has made everybody anxious, it's made everybody worried, it's made everybody seek out information, but it's also made people super delusional and super ignorant because if you're not near, if you're not seeing the actual impact of this thing, you don't think it's a big deal and, and you don't think it's something that we need to take seriously. And so for a lot of people out there, and I get it, I get it, it's a little bit of out of sight, out of mind. If you're living somewhere in America where this thing doesn't have a great impact and you're not seeing the hospitals fill up and you're not seeing the body bags fill up and you're not seeing the, the true devastation of it, to you, you might look at it like, well, we need to get back to work and we need to turn everything back on because we can't keep everything closed and watch the company cripple economically 
while people in in urban areas suffer through this thing like why should we also have to like watch our people go bankrupt and and business closes and all the terrible things that are happening as a byproduct of this and i get it there is no like easy answer for anyone there's no easy way to process this whole thing you know what we know about this thing is what we don't know about this thing but i do know this that a lot of people were like, it's Easter Sunday, it's great, let's turn the country back on now, which is like the idiotic approach that we've been hearing from our leaders, and and I'm not going to get political, but it is way too soon to turn everything back on. And if, if, you, if you see what's happening here, and you think it's not going to spread, that ignorance is really dangerous. Now, well, here's what's really sad, and I'm not going to get all political. If everyone just did their part, and everyone just stayed in place, everyone social distance, and everyone just worked together as a country, we would be well past this thing in a couple months. We'd flatten the curve and we could start to get back to life as normal. But because we're not like that and the American spirit is all about, I'm going to, I'm, freedom is everything and I'm not going to listen to anyone tell me what to do and I'm going to live my life and I'm going to go to my friend's house and have pinball parties and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to turn my business back on. Good luck. Good luck living that way. Good luck being ignorant to the realities of what's happening. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you want to turn your business back on. Let me tell you what's going to happen. No one's going to show up to your business where you're asking people to do things that are high risk and are non-essential. And I'm not going to name names, but some people out there, I get it. They have businesses that rely on activities that are absolutely non-essential. And that is just going to be a very difficult business to turn back on because it just doesn't matter. I think when we come out of this, there's going to be a reevaluation of the kinds of things we do first. And I don't know about you, but I've been thinking a lot about that. When we turn things back on, is one of the first things we're going to go do, are we going to go play pinball on location? Are we going to go buy pinball machines? Are we going to, like, who do you support? I think when we start to turn things back on, and, and it's only going to happen when we have some sort of like testing that is widespread in which people can know if they're good or not to go back out there, I think people are going to just reconnect with loved ones. I think people are going to reconnect with friends in safe ways. I, I don't think we're going to go back to the social behavior for a while until that's safe because none of those activities are worth it. Why is it? It's just not worth it to go put yourself at risk. And again, it's not like for a lot of you out there, you might be in the age bracket in which you're not worried about your life, but you have to be worried that you could catch something and spread it to someone you love who is at high risk. And that's the whole point. They just announced all the schools are closed. Right now, every single parent in America is learning what it's like to be a parent for like 100, 200 years ago. There, there's no nannies. There's no help. There's no... There's no relief from the fact that now you have to raise kids all day long, and it's tough. It's tough. I'm watching some of my coworkers try to manage the two things, and it's really hard. Now, personally, I'm really worried because for myself, I've saved a lot of money. I haven't been a spendthrift, and I'm actually really happy I don't have any pinball machines. Let's talk about that for a moment because I know I get a lot of flack for not having any pinball machines, but I don't know about you, but I've been reading a lot over the past few weeks about how to simplify life, how to prepare for moments like these because this isn't the last time we're going to go through this. 
And a lot of our lives are dedicated to the accumulation of things and stuff that we really don't need. And this is a really rare moment in the world. This is a moment in which the entire world has hit pause and the entire world is reflecting on all of the choices we've made as a society and as people that we haven't really thought too hard about. Because you know why? You know what really keeps the machine going? You know what really keeps all the new in-box pinball machine purchases uh, from, from occurring? You know what keeps Stern Pinball and all these companies that want to sell you six to $12,500 machines? You know what keeps it all going? We're all just too busy to really think about what we're actually doing. We're so preoccupied. We're so distracted all day long that we crave the, the, the latest thing to keep us distracted and excited. So many of us, so many of you out there who have so many pinball machines, you don't need any more. You didn't need any more machines when you had five machines ago. Some of you have huge basements filled with arcade games. Yes, it makes you happy. You barely play most of the games. You don't even have time to play most of the games. You haven't even beaten the games that you've had for years and you're on to the next one. There's something about the way we've all been lost in this river that just moves us through life so quickly of, of where we need to consume and we need to look forward to new things and we need to constantly be busy. We're so busy as a nation. And now it's so abundantly clear that a nation like America that's so busy, right, busy at our jobs, busy parenting, busy buying things, busy doing uh, repairs to the house, busy planning vacations, busy wondering what our next car is going to be, you know, busy this, busy that, busy this. And now all of a sudden, you're no longer that busy. Now the only thing occupying your mind is, was all of this worth it? Did I do the right thing? Have I planned accordingly for a moment in which this turns off? And, and the, the sad reality for most of us is the answer is no. Like we, we, we were so busy that we filled our lives with things that didn't really matter that much, that we filled so much of our time and occupied so much of our spaces with things we could live without. And now we're all learning that. We're learning that. And, and it's, it's hopefully giving all of us a moment of reflection. I know it's, it's, it's happening for me. And so as I stare at my wall here with a piano in which I've been playing music and a little Capcom mini cute and no pinball machine, I'm, I'm actually not sad. I'm not longing to have a pinball machine here. I'm just happy that I've had a few great machines in my life that I've fully enjoyed over the years. I've been happy to play so many pinball machines on location in New York City. I've been happy to play so many great games at pinball shows. And I know that we'll get back there one day. But I'm not, I'm not longing for that to be the first thing that I get back. And I'm also very afraid for myself and my job and my family and my loved ones. And I know all of you are as well. I don't care what you do. There's so many jobs out there. And there's so many professions that are non-essential. The sad part is most of them are non-essential. And no matter what you think you are, or what you do, or where you think you are financially, everyone is just going to get hit hard in a way that nobody could have anticipated. And we need each other. We need to be empathetic with each other. We need to be understanding with each other. And again, I've, I've, I've just had some people like attack me recently saying, oh, you know, you're just in New York City and, and you're not helping out because if you wanted to really help out, you would be doing this and you would be doing that. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to keep doing my job as long as I can do it. As long as my company is afloat, this is what I do for a living. This is what I've worked my whole life at. I, it, it's not hypocritical of me 
to continue doing my marketing job while other people are doing jobs in which they're at greater risk for catching this thing. If they're at Walmart or if they're in the hospitals, everyone is doing their part. But for the rest of us out there, the, the job that is to be done by everybody is to stay at home is to lock down until we get this thing under control. And I don't understand why people are arguing about that. I don't understand why there's an ignorance to that fact, okay? Now, that's all that I ask of you on Canada's Pinball Podcast is to be kind to each other, be empathetic to each other, but, but also do your part. Do your part in staying at home. Do your part in social distancing. And we'll get through this and we'll flatten the curve. The whole point of social distancing isn't to keep you from your Chili's baby back ribs. It's to help the medical professionals not get overwhelmed. I don't understand how anyone's confused about why we're doing this. And it's not about the fact that it might not be hitting your town as hard as New York City. We're a country. We are one country. So if there are medical needs in New York, in California, and here or there, medical professionals from other states are traveling there to help out because that's what a community does and that's what a country does. And you've got to put the the betterment of the nation in front of just your own local desires to get back to life as normal. And if you think your businesses are struggling, walk the streets of any major city in which everything is closed. We're all in the same boat. But I do know this, we're not just going to let it all fall apart. All right, so let's talk about a couple news items, then we'll talk about Deep Root Pinball and what we learned from Robert Mueller. So here's a couple news items that I've heard. We all know that Guns N' Roses is next from Jersey Jack Pinball. It's like the worst kept secret in pinball. Jack's told everybody personally that it's coming out next. Eric has told people that it's happening. It's happening. But here's something that I learned, because my big concern has been about the art package on Guns N' Roses. Now, I've heard that Eric has hand-selected the artist for Guns N' Roses, and supposedly this artist is incredible, and he's even better, I heard, than Zombie Yeti, that this art package is going to blow us away the way Zombie Yeti art packages blow us away, which is music to everybody's ears. Now, the debate rages on. This debate over whether or not Guns N' Roses is a good theme or not for Jersey Jack Pinball rages on. And whenever it comes, whenever it comes to, to music themes, it, it opens up another layer of subjectivity, right? All pinball machine themes are subjective to begin with. All pinball games are subjective to begin with. But then once you add in music, which is something that people emotionally are very heavily in favor of or against when it comes to an, an, an artist like Guns N' Roses, and it becomes very polarizing. But yet, I think people are completely, completely being unrealistic if they think that Guns N' Roses won't be a big hit for Jersey Jack Pinball. I mean, are we men or boys? Are we women or girls? Are we adults or children? So I get that there's themes out there that are family-friendly and timeless like Willy Wonka and Wizard of Oz. But if I'm a marketer and I'm looking at the Guns N' Roses target demographic, like the Guns N' Roses fan base is very, very big. And I've been getting in, in arguments with people. Guns N' Roses has, I think, the third highest grossing tour of all time in terms of gross revenue with $583 million. 
okay? They've sold over 90 million albums worldwide. And yet, when you go on the Jersey Jack fan page or you listen to guys like Derek, he's like, well, I don't really like Guns N' Roses. It's not going to do well. It's the first gun. Derek, what are you talking about? Like, you're not even a Pirates of the Caribbean fan. Like, and you you, you praise that machine to high heaven. And that's, that's where we're at right now. You've got all these people who just, if they don't like Guns N' Roses, they're immediately saying, this pin's not going to do well. And then you have people who are saying, well, they already made a Guns N' Roses pinball machine, so why do we need another one? Now, I'll give, the, I'll give people that. that it, is, it, it is like a game in which there's no shortage of Guns N' Roses pinball machines out there. But I will say this. We know that Jersey Jack Pinball is going to make this game phenomenal. We know that the sound's going to be incredible. The mechs are going to be great. We know the art's going to be killer. We know that it's, you know, Guns N' Roses' Daddy East machine, while cool... The music sucks. The sound sucks. And I get it. You can upgrade all of that, but it's not the same as a modern pin. The, there, there's a modern polish to a Jersey Jack machine that is going to blow away what the Data East machine looked like. And, 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 but it, there is high competition here because the Data East machine, the wide body machine with the, you know, the, the two shooter lanes and the GNR ramps, very cool machine. I mean, you stand over that machine and it's, it's very Guns N' Roses with, with the, you know, the Use Your Illusion, blood-soaked Guns N' Roses logo topper. It's very cool. But a modern version of Guns N' Roses will play well. And, and I'm just happy to see Jersey Jack make a machine that, again, like the core buying demographic of pinball, 40 to 60-year-old men for the most part, it's it's just, it's cool. Like, I'm sorry, like, I don't mean to rain on your sort of kindergarten parade, but I don't know a lot of grown men who walk into a, 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 a bar room or a game room or a, or, or a social setting in which they want to talk about Willy Wonka in which they want to talk about Wizard of Oz, in which they want to talk about Hobbit or Pirates of the Caribbean. So Guns N' Roses is just cooler. Like if you're at a bar and GNR comes on, I don't know, like a lot of people are still into it. And it's as in terms of relevance, I hear this all the time, like Guns N' Roses is no longer relevant. And it's like, are you, do you watch sports when sports are playing? They still play Welcome to the Jungle, Paradise City, Sweet Child of Mine. These these songs are iconic. November Rain was the first music video from the 90s to reach a billion views, people. A billion views on YouTube, November Rain. So if you want to argue, you might personally not like Guns N' Roses, but arguing their relevance and their popularity is absolutely inane. And I know that I'm a fan, so I'm excited to see Guns N' Roses' pinball machine. And I know some of you are not, and that's okay. But in terms of popularity, Guns N' Roses is more relevant than Willy Wonka, than Pirates of the Caribbean, than The Hobbit, right? Than Wizard of Oz. It just, it's just, it's played more in contemporary culture. Go look at young kids too. What, what, what band T-shirts are a lot of them wearing? Guns and effing roses. All right. So just, we'll see. We'll see, but if I were to say where this pin is going to sell, I think Guns N' Roses outsells The Hobbit. I think it outsells Dialed In for sure. I think it outsells Willy Wonka. I really do. I really do think if it's if it is awesome, they're going to sell more Guns N' Roses, and, and it'll have more long-lasting sales potential. 
See, Willy Wonka to me, the sales have dried up already. Distributors are sitting on them. They're not hard to get. It's, it's you know, it's it's had its moment and it's it's gone. It's it's just, that's it. But a music, a music pin has more long lasting sales potential. It just does. And, and do people forget that some of the greatest selling pinball machines in Stern's repertoire have been Metallica, have been ACDC? And so how many runs of Metallica and ACDC did they do? And I fully expect that Eric is going to give us a game that's got way more cool stuff in it than Metallica and ACDC. And I get it. Lyman made those games incredible. But here's the thing, too. We know that Jersey Jack will hopefully, you know, code this game to have a lot of long-lasting appeal in the home. So I think Guns N' Roses is one that if you're sleeping on it and you think it's just going to be this, like, annoying pin... The second you see a light show synced up with Welcome to the Jungle, I think you're going to realize why Guns N' Roses music is perfectly suited for the the modern pinball experience from Jersey Jack. And I think Jack's going to wake up to the fact that he needs to stop making these kiddie themes all the time and start making themes that appeal to the target buyer of the 40 to 60-year-old man. And I think it'll have much greater success. And I think, here's the thing. If the collector's edition has an incredible artist and it's Guns N' Roses, this could be the first collector's edition in which Jersey Jack sells out everyone on day one. And that's a good measurement of how right they got the theme. And Jersey Jack has not had a game like that ever. They've never had a day one sellout. And I think if they nail Guns N' Roses, they could achieve that. So we'll see. We'll see. All right. What else is going on in pinball? All right. So you've got new code from Scott Denisi for TNA, which is cool, I guess. So I want to see code for Rick and Morty being worked on versus TNA. We've got new Iron Man code. And there's Stern's been doing code updates uh, over the last few weeks. So if you, if you go to Stern's website, make sure you take a look at what recent code updates there are and install them in your games and enjoy your Stern machines. All right, let's finish this off with Deep Root. So Robert Mueller, we interviewed him, and it was great to get Robert on the phone to talk about how things are going. Now, after the fact, as I started to think about what Robert was saying and, and their strategy for Raza and how to get it out in the world, and, and he drops other interesting things around how they were pitching the Hot Wheels license and how he's going after a property bigger than Harry Potter, and the speculation is if it's a Hot Wheels game and the property is bigger than Harry Potter, maybe he means Fast and the Furious. But there's no way Fast and the Furious is bigger than Harry Potter. But it would still be cool to see what John Norris worked on. Now, John Norris actually ended up joining my Facebook Live show that I did on Friday. And so he's excited to, to, to show the world what he's been working on. And I think he said they're in, in pending talks right now with a license holder over this game. So we'll see. Before we get to Raz, I want to say this. I think everyone does appreciate that Robert has simmered down. He's calmed down. He's more humble than before. But I will say this. The but is this. The promises are still pretty ludicrously bold. He still said if if this didn't hit, if COVID didn't hit, we would see eight to nine titles from Deep Root. And I just don't understand why it's always like zero to a hundred with this company. So if you think about the entire pinball landscape, every single pinball company in the world other than Stern 
can never release more than one game a year. So think about that. Every single pinball company out there has never shipped more than one game a year. And you know who they are. Stern Pinball, at the size they are at, there are around four to five new titles a year. Now, why does Robert keep saying this eight to nine number? And how can that possibly be? And the part we don't know is, is we don't know the platform in which he's, he's talking about these games. And we don't know how he's defining what a game is. So, for example, Raza might ship with a game as part of it. And then there might be an entire another Raza game that's a new code update that you install that becomes like chapter two of Raza. So let me let me explain that. So imagine if like Star Wars, you bought a Star Wars pinball machine and the and the game on it was a new hope and you were playing it for like six months and then six months you download Empire Strikes Back and you could consider that like a second game that you can put onto the platform. So is that what Robert means when he talks about eight to nine titles a year? Does that mean eight to nine physical pinball cabinets a year or eight to nine games that might where you might be able to play multiple games on one of the platforms, right? Because think about it too, from Raz's standpoint, you got Retro Atomic Zombie Adventure Land. So maybe one game is where you play as the aliens, and another game you play as the zombies, and they're completely different ways to play through the same narrative. I don't know. I, I just I'm just speculating on how they can honestly say they're gonna ship eight to nine games a year, because we all know this as well. Eight to nine games a year is like a game every other month, right? That's too many games. You just can't you can't find enough buyers to release that many games. So if I gave Robert some advice, I would stop with the promise of volume because quantity does not equal quality. And that lesson holds very true in pinball. We don't need nine more titles a year. What we need are more amazing games. And if he said, look, we're not going to try to make 10 games a year. We're going to make two games a year that are going to embarrass everything else in the industry because we're going to focus all of our amazing resources on making each of these two games phenomenal. They're going to be themes that don't compete with each other. So if you own both, you're going to you're going to get the best of both worlds. But we're going to show you what we can do with two heavy hitting titles a year. To me, that makes much more sense from a marketing standpoint than, hey, we're going to break records of eight to nine. Nobody cares. Here's the thing. The records people care about being broken are not volume of machines. The records we want to see broken we want to see new companies break into the top 10 or top 20 best games of all time. That should be your goal. Make the best games ever. Make the best games ever. Don't make the most amount of games ever. So that's how I would start to change the narrative if I were Robert. Talk about the quality, not the quantity, okay? But he, he, he does also talk about the quality. And there is the conversation of like once people see this platform, they're going to get it. Now, here's a question I have for them because I know Robert and company wanted to do it all at once. They wanted to have this five days of deep root, which then got consolidated into a visit on March 25th. But at some point, at some point, I think Robert needs to start 
pulling back some of the curtain and showing people some of the things that don't give away all of the secrets. But here's what I mean by that. Why can't DeepRoot pop the hood a little bit on their platform? We don't need to see the final games, but just show us what's under the hood. What, what, what have you redone? What problems have you solved in the pinball world that are going to make people's lives easier? How have you rethought pinball? You know, are, are, are the days of using a soldering iron going to be done? Are the days of replacing boards and lights and mechs going to be so much easier on the deep root platform? Have you built a system that's going to have a bulletproof play field? Why can't we at least see that? Why can't we at least see the bulletproof play field that they've been touting all these years? So I think he needs to start showing some of this stuff. It, it's just just waiting and waiting and waiting. And here's why. Here's why I think whoever uses this moment of pause the most strategically wise is going to come out on top at the end of this. Because at the end of this pause, when all manufacturing turns back on, you're going to have so many games launching at once. And the company that has communicated and excited people to get to that point will have people holding on to their money to get their machines. And I know it's weird, right? It's like you don't want to market too early. You don't want to show your cards too early on because then hype fades away. But I think turning off all your marketing right now is also not the right approach. Like if I were a pinball company right now, I would be putting into place a teaser campaign to sort of continue to dominate the conversation and the thought around pinball right now when no one else is doing anything. Now is the ultimate time to start to, you know, drop some breadcrumbs out into the pinball world for people to chew on. I know I asked Robert for an image and he gave me a little image of of Raza, but uh, you know, come on, give us a little bit something more. If you redesign the ramp, well, show us it. Maybe show us a little video of how the ramp now is so much easier to hit. Just get people excited. You know, when I look at the Raza game, I, I sometimes forget that there is like a unique J-pop experience there that is flippable, which is like commendable. Now, when it comes to Raza, I know there's a big there's a big debate about this game, and Robert revealed some of the plans they have in terms of offering two different art packages, and within that, there's two different ways in which you can customize your game. And here's, here's what I want to do right now. I want to give Robert Mueller, because I know he listens, I want to give Robert Mueller Canada's advice on how to launch Raza, because I think that some of what he's saying I agree with, some of what I... What he's saying I think is going in the wrong direction and he's going down a rabbit hole that Andrew Highway went down when it comes to like how you order these games. And I think the best place to start is that Robert knows one thing. He knows that if you limit the number of total games you're going to make, that will increase the fear of missing out on getting that title. So let's start out by saying that I think Robert's decision to limit the number of Razas he's going to make is the right thing to do. It is not a licensed theme. They are not going to sell thousands of Razas when it's going up against all these licensed property games. He knows that. He also knows that, that J-Pop's whole thing was built around limited edition games. That's what Zidware was based on. That was what made these games special. They were never going to be special if John was going to make thousands of games. So to limit the number of J-pop games 
and seeing these games as more boutique, high-end art pieces from the mind of John Papaduke, that's how I would market these games. These games are John Papaduke imaginations coming to life in pinball form. We're not going to make many of them. They're special. Anytime you play one of his new games, it's going to be a special moment because there's not many of them out in the world. That's how I would market it. I know some of you disagree with that, but that's how I would market it. That's the smartest way to get these games to fly off the shelf and to fly off the shelf at a higher price point. Because if you say you're going to make an unlimited amount of these games or you don't say the total number you're going to make, people are just going to wait and then they're not going to buy it. And this company needs sales on day one. They need to sell this game out pretty immediately. And by limiting it, they are going to do that. If they only make 500 or less J-pop games of Raza, they will sell out. They will sell out. So then the next question becomes like, well, what do you price it at? Like, how much do you price a J-pop game? in a way that will create that frenzy and that sellout moment. Now, here's the thing. You people out there are buying $9,000 Stern LEs in which the same exact game gets made indefinitely when they make the premiums. So there's nothing really special about a Stern LE, right? It's just cosmetic stuff that means nothing, that never changes gameplay. There's no extra modes. The experience you're having on a Stern LE is the exact same experience that a Stern Premium buyer has. And a Stern Premium buyer is getting your exact game for thousands of dollars less. And there's it also just removes the collectability, I believe, of Stern LEs because it's just the experience is not unique. And so if you're only going to make 500 J-pop Razas and no more, no premium editions, no pro editions, and you, I, I think you charge more than $9,000. I think this game comes in around $10,000. I really do. You want one? This is what it costs. And here's why. Because they're going to hold value simply because there's no more ever going to be made. That's why you limit something. It's, it's a numbers matching limited game and that's it. There are 5,000 Metallicas out there and ACDCs. There's thousands of Wizard of Oz games out there. 500 Razas would even be half the amount of Pirates of the Caribbean games. The other part that matters a lot though too is this, and that is how good is the game? Is the game worth it? Is the game as good as some of those other games that people really want? Now that's where I think it's gonna take a leap of faith for buyers because I don't think you're gonna get to know if it's worth it or not until you commit to it. I really don't. So, and here's, if I were Robert, I would take a page from what's worked in pinball before. And my recommendation to Robert is this, and I know you're gonna hate me for saying this, pinball people. I know you're gonna think this is like the wrong way to go about it, but as a marketer, this is the right way to do it. If you want to sell all 500 Raza machines and you want to get people to you know, cram through the door to get one, you limit the number of them, you offer it up, and I'm going to get to this, in one sexy package, and you show people very little of the game in terms of streaming it. Streaming a machine is the fastest way to get a machine to feel pedestrian and boring and mundane and you've seen it before. You have to find a way to show people why it's exciting, why they should want one, but don't overdo it. You know, one of the reasons why Pirates of the Caribbean didn't sell well when it was finally available for sale, people forget this. One of the reasons why the demand dried up, it wasn't because of Discgate, it's because we had watched streams on the damn thing for so many months that by the time it was available, people were bored of it already. So I would not stream this game. 
it, you know, streaming a game too, it's like letting people go on a test drive. Like you don't get to test drive Ferraris and Lamborghinis. If you treat this like a rare collectible boutique J-pop game, people will gravitate towards it who are collectors. And again, these people out there that will buy this, they will be more of like the collector, the, the wealthier community that doesn't always like to admit that's how they buy, but that's the truth. They're out there. And John Papaduke was always tailoring his games to those individuals. And I think Deep Root would be smart to create a buyer base that is more affluent for these rare J-pop games. And I think they're going to deliver games for other people at other price points, but I would always maintain the J-pop art pieces as higher-end pinball machines. Now, the thing I wouldn't do if I were Robert is offer these multiple ways to option the game. Because to me, that really starts to erode away at the specialness of of the game. Because then you have different versions out there and you don't want that. If you're going to make something limited, everyone wants to feel like they have one of 500 or one of 300 versions of the game that's special. They don't want there to be a variety of versions of the game. And an example of that I'll use is Pirates of the Caribbean Collector's Edition. It's super cool with the topper, with the barnacles, and and everything about it is really neat. If Jack made multiple versions or ways to order that, then it starts to sort of erode away at the singular reason why people love the game because there's one version everyone's lusting after. If you make multiple versions, I just don't think that's the way to go. And as someone who saw magic girl you don't need like multiple versions of magic girl just make the thing as sexy as possible so i think robert shouldn't have like multiple art options or multiple armor options or multiple no like what's the best what is the creme de la creme what looks the best let j-pop who's a creative director decide on this is the game. Once you start breaking it up, I, I think you start to break up. I don't know. I think you start to break up like the desirability of it in a little bit. It just starts to become now. I don't know which one's the LE because then by nature, some of them will become the LE. Some won't like whoever ordered. I don't know. It's just keep it one version, one version of the Bugatti, one version of the La Ferrari, one version of the thing. Make it as spectacular as you can. And don't offer up all these different options. Again, I, and also the other part, and this is the main reason why I don't think you do all these different options, is manufacturing becomes much more of a nightmare if you have to start to like break it down. And this person ordered this armor with that playfield art. This person ordered. You can't just run the games. When you make only one version of a high-end game, you can just manufacture the same game the same way every time everyone feels like they got the same special thing. When you have to start breaking up manufacturing because you have to start offering like different customizable options, it makes manufacturing a lot more difficult. And I don't think they should do that. I think they should keep it as easy as possible to make these games for all the customers that are buying it. It also creates like better quality control because everything's just the same thing being put together. And and people who learn how to do it, they just learn how to do it. And also like, I've been a little bit wrong in the sense that like people are itching to buy something right now. And the rich people out there, they have money to burn. And I think that if I were Robert, I would try to get these games sold before everything turns back on. I really would. Now, you don't have to ask people to pay in full, but I would pull a spooky pinball here. 
I would ask people, we're going to make this many Razas and we're going to sell each spot with a non-refundable deposit of this much money. And I would launch it that way. Now, people will be like so nervous to do that, right? Because Spooky Pinball has a proven track record of, of manufacturing games. People would worry that Deep Root hasn't proven themselves. They would worry that the company might be uh, headed towards insolvency, that that all is not well over there. And, and you can't blame people for feeling that way, right? They haven't shipped anything. They haven't made any products. And to hand them money now, now it starts to feel real. Now, now, now the risk comes into play. Like, am I risking my money with this unproven company? And maybe Robert doesn't need that pre-order money, but I do think he should sell these games before everything turns back on because I think once it turns back on, I wouldn't want to be competing with all of the other stuff that's going to hit all at once. And I know he's confident that once people see our platform and once people see that, but it's going to be, I don't know, I, I just don't think it's going to be like Roz is going to be the one that rises above everything else that's out there. And I think they even know that too. They're like Raza's a J-pop game and we don't, we want to get past Raza to get to other games. So I would treat this game differently. I even think 500 is too many. I, I, I think if you were to ask the sweet spot of Raza, I would say like maybe 300, make them. So the thing is, the, the, the lower the number, and you're going to hate me for saying this, the lower the number of Razas they make, the more they can charge for the game. So if they only make 200 Razas, they could charge $15,000. I'm being totally serious here. If they said we're only making 200 Razas and they're each 15K, I still think they sell out. I really do. The problem is they got to make them. See, here's the here's the big issue I have with, with all of this. And this is why it's like, you know, Deep Root's not stern. Deep Root is not spooky. Deep Root hasn't proven that they, they can manufacture these games. There's If there's one photo we'd all like to see, it's, it's of the Deep Root manufacturing facility. Like, where's Deep Root's line? Where's this octo manufacturing section of the building? They need to show people that these games are are on the line like if they were building 15 of them for tpf where are the ones they've built show something you don't have to show again you don't have to give away the secrets to show that you have manufacturing in place and people are going to want to see that before they spend any money the part i would be really nervous about because robert did say like we're ready to go i told my team we're ready to go at a moment's notice but parts clearly have not been ordered at scale and we know that if you're ordering parts, whether from China or from the U.S., it takes months to get those parts in. So if things turn back on in July, when do you think the parts from China necessary to build 200 games, when will they arrive? They won't arrive like in July. He hasn't had orders yet. He doesn't know how many parts he needs to order. So I still think the whole thing is a little loosey-goosey. And I think Robert and company, they need to pick a plan and they need to commit to a number of Razas and tell us what that's going to be. And here's the thing, they're going to they're gonna have to be very careful in how they do this because if they pick a number and the number's too high and the sales aren't there, that's really bad for them. If they pick a number that's too low and they price the game too low, because the game sells out right away and they realize they left money on the table. That's also bad for them. They're really going to have to do some due diligence and think long and hard about how many do we make and how much do we charge in which we're not losing out. 
on this game. And it's it's difficult because a game like Raza, I, I, I mean, personally, I wouldn't want to start with this game because I just think there's like such a questionable demand for it. There's all the backstory of the Zid where people that got burned. There's and that's the other thing too is like how many of those 100 plus Zidware buyers are promised this game, are promised this game at a reduced cost, and and that's also problematic because you got to factor those people in to the total number of games that you're going to open up for the main consumer to buy. People who had nothing to do with Zidware. How many are you going to make available in total? It starts to feel really problematic. And that's why I think they need to just pick a number. We're making this many. We're not making any more. Here's how much they cost. Here's how you can order them. And here's when we anticipate them to be ready. Now, the problem again becomes becomes whatever date they give on when people can expect their games, like no one's going to believe it. And they've missed every deadline to date. And so you, it would just be rolling the dice. And I think for most people out there, the hard part is this, is no one's really going to want to roll the dice on Raza. You're willing to roll the dice on a theme you love. If it was Back to the Future, even if it was Big Lebowski, right? If it was like a, 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 the Goonies, if it, it was, if it was the Matrix, you would roll the dice. That's why people rolled the dice on Alien. It's because they loved Alien so much. I don't think Raza has much of a love affair by anybody. So I don't think people are going to be willing to roll the dice on Raza. So you see where we're at right now. It's a quagmire for them. They, they have to launch a company with a title that has questionable demand at best. They have to launch the company with a title that shows off their platform but doesn't really show off what they're capable of because it still is an old game from J-pop that they just got to the finish line. And so it's going to be really interesting. I think Robert's way out of this one is to make it super limited super expensive, well, not super expensive, but super limited, an expensive title that's a bespoke J-pop art package game that you can play. And I think he needs to make one version of the game, not have all these two versions of two versions of two versions. Enough with that nonsense. That makes me feel like they couldn't make up their mind on which art package they felt was the best. And there was, and and to me, that's a bad sign. Like, don't, you, you always want to make sure that there's one there's one way to make this game look the best. Don't don't put it out there for consumers to decide because it makes it look like you couldn't figure it out. And I and J-Pop has a good eye for this stuff. So I think they need to just be like, let's just make this game look as great as we can, charge as much as we can, and make just enough where there's one more demand than supply. And that's what they need to do. If you were to ask me, I think they're not going to be, you know, I, I think they're going to have to, they're probably going to end up waiting but then they're going to be in a crowded space where every other manufacturer, because once JJP turns back on and Stern turns back on and Chicago, Chicago Gaming's got hundreds of medieval madnesses just waiting to go out. They're just waiting for a part. Once all these companies start shipping again, we're going to see this marketplace flood it like never before. And it's going to be the worst time to drop Raza into the mix. So I think, Robert, let's get ahead of it if I'm you. And let's, you should think about how to get ahead of it. And, you know, Canada will always talk to you on the phone about how to do it. But I think you could sell 250 maybe right away and, and lock in some money on people that are willing to roll the dice on a J-pop game, knowing that there's never going to be any more made and the number made is really small. So whether, do you agree or not with this? Hit me up at CanadaPinball at gmail.com. Do you think this is the right approach to launch Raza? Do you, would you do it differently? And what would you do? 
I'd love to hear from you. What would you do if DeepRoot was your company and Raza was your first game? How would you launch it in a way that would make it special, create sales on day one, and navigate the, the landscape of an oversaturated pinball world that will hit when we turn everything back on? All right. Everyone, I got to go to work. We're going to do our best to get you shows. Uh, I don't know. You know, the news is drying up. The news is drying up. And our mood, our mood is drying up. All of our desire to like think about pinball each week starts to become less and less important. But I'll do my best to get you shows. This has been episode 478 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Love like yours will surely come my way. Hey, hey, hey. Love like yours will surely come my way.